5,000 Allied troops landed in a 50-mile area in France. 160,000. There were 7,000 ships and vessels involved. We're talking in the, in the British, in the Channel, 7,000 ships. In the first 24 hours at Normandy, where the Americans landed, 1,465 were verified killed. 1,928 were missing. In all, America had 22,119 casualties, or the Allies. They had 5,665 missing, 13,564 wounded. And the battle actually went from June 6th to August 30th. And during that time, between the Allies and the Germans, there were 425,000 casualties. That's almost half a million. A couple of months. The Allies, that's America, Britain, a few other countries. Um, had 209,000 casualties in that time. I wanted to bring that to your attention because every year on the news it says D-Day when America landed, you know, the Allies landed, and we go on. Sometimes we need to stop and think about D-Day. I saw something last week dealing with Memorial Day. They showed one of those troop carriers of World War II about to open its gate. It had a little caption, something to this effect. Many on board this vessel are 18, 19 years old. And when they step out of this vessel, they know their chance of survival is slim. And I thought, how, how, how would I like to be sitting on that vessel? Knowing that door's gonna open. Well, just appreciate D-Day. Aiden, I need a little more volume. Appreciate D-Day.
Well, I came across this story. A little girl talking to her mother. And you know, kids like to ask questions. And she said, Mom, how did the human race appear? Her mother said, God made Adam and Eve, and they had children. And so that's how mankind was made. Sure's okay with that. A couple of days later, she's with Dad. And she says, Dad, how was mankind made? Well, Dad said, many years ago, there were monkeys from which the human race evolved. So now the girl's a little confused. She goes back to her mother. She says, Mom, how is it you told me the human race was created by God? And Dad said the human race was developed from monkeys. The mother said, well, dear, it's, it's really very simple. You see, I told you about my side of the family, and your father told you about his. That's a good answer. Children are so wonderful, aren't they? Somebody said, you spend the first two years of their life teaching them to walk and talk. Then you spend the next 16 years telling them to sit down and shut up. <laughs> All right, we're in Matthew 6. I sincerely hope that this has been a help to you. It's something I don't think I've ever done in a morning service. I don't remember an extended series of any sort. And I never intended this to be a series. This was one message. But as I began to preach it, God's made it more than one. So I can only assume that he feels this is where we need to be, this is what we need to do. Our subject, once again, is prayer. Look at verse 9, Matthew 6. Again, Jesus is there He's giving a sermon on the mount. It goes from chapter 5 to chapter 7. So much involved. Aiden. And uh, he gets to this part. He's addressing prayer. He first tells them not to pray like the Pharisees do. And then he gets down here to verse 9. 
And he says, after this manner, therefore, and then he gives what we've called his model prayer. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And then he reminds them, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But... If you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Father, bless this this message and this time. You obviously want to speak to us about this matter of prayer. It is important, it's vital. And it seems like it's a weak point in far too many Christians' lives. I pray that as we examine the subject from your word, that you would deal with us and we would be open, we would be receptive to the truths of what you say in your word about prayer. That we, each one of us might grasp the importance and the power A prayer. Again, if there's one here without Christ, save them today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Proper praying. Well, I'll get there here in a minute. Ah, there we are. Praying properly. And I had a different slide, but uh, right under that I put this. After this manner. After this manner. Therefore, pray. Again, the subject is prayer. Prayer is vital to the Christian life. Somebody said prayer is as vital to the, to the spiritual or Christian life as breath is to the physical life. Wow. That's quite a statement. It's also been said 
that the depth of a person's Christian life can be measured by their prayer life. Prayer is so vital because it is our communicating link, if you will, with our Heavenly Father. It is our opportunity to come and speak directly to Him and have Him speak to us. Have you ever needed to see someone in authority and you had the opportunity to go before them in their very presence? Just imagine. Well, maybe that's not a good illustration. I was going to say you get the opportunity to go sit in front of the president. Let's just say the president of some big corporation, powerful, wealthy, etc., invites you. And you have opportunity to come before him, just you and him. Wouldn't you feel important? Wouldn't you cherish the opportunity? Here's the God of all heaven, all earth, the creator of everything, who says to us, come to me. Meet with me. You and me. You realize when you're in prayer, it's just doing him. You say, oh, he's listening to the whole world. He can do that and at the same time, give all his attention to you. Well, how does he do that? I don't know. Ask him when you get there. Prayer, our opportunity. Let me give you a couple of quotes I found about this matter of prayer. God warms his hands at man's heart when he prays. A man named John Mansfield. If your day is hemmed in with prayer, it is less likely to come unraveled. Boy, that's a good, well, I write that one in the flyleaf of our Bible. A gal named Cynthia Lewis said that. How about this one? Work as if you were to live a hundred years and pray as if you were to die tomorrow. Ben Franklin. God shapes the world by prayer. The more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be, the mightier the forces against evil. E.M. Bounds. To get nations back on their feet, we must first get them down on their knees. Billy Graham. 
Listen carefully to this one. Men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. J. Sidlow Baxter. Prayer is not a monologue, but a dialogue. God's voice is its most essential part. Listening to God's voice is the secret of assurance that he will listen to me. That was Andrew Murray. I like this one. All I know is that when I pray, coincidence happens. And when I don't pray, they don't happen. That was a fellow named Dan Hayes. I have lived to thank God that all my prayers have not been answered. I finish with this one. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. God. We've been dealing with prayer. We've talked about the perception of prayer. What is prayer? Basically, we said it's not vain repetition. It's not chanting. It's a conversation with God. Then we talked about the purpose of prayer. And then we started a couple of weeks ago talking about the pattern of prayer. We talked about the need for adoration of God in our prayers. Hallowed be thy name. I said we need to recognize who it is we're praying to and approach him accordingly. He's the sovereign. He's the ruler. And we don't come telling him what to do. By the way, we don't ever come demanding things from God. Prayer is asking. You know, some of these get-rich preachers, they say, well, demand this from God. and Tell God to give you this and that. Hey, you don't tell God to do anything. He's the sovereign. He's the mighty one. And then last time we talked about submission in our prayers. 
Thy will be done. And when we pray, we need to be looking for God's will, not our will. We need to come and ask him what he wants, not tell him what we're going to do. And now today we want to begin with the idea of supplication. Jesus says there, give us this day our daily bread. Right off the top, without going anywhere, researching anything, looking at words or anything else, I see Jesus saying, come and ask God for your needs. Daily bread. See, in Jesus' day, bread was the staple. You may not have fish, you may not have meat, but you had bread. And he says, give us our daily bread. Supplication. That is a form of prayer in which someone makes a humble request asks for something from God. Go to Philippians. I want you to notice something here. Philippians chapter 4. Paul writes this. He says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Supplication. Perception of prayer, purpose of prayer, pattern for prayer. Adoration, submission, supplication. I took it at Philippians 4 and verse 6 because Paul uses two words there about praying. Prayer and supplication. I believe what Paul is saying is we come to God in our prayer, we come to Him in adoration, we come to Him in submission, and we come to Him in our supplication. Supplication is a part, I believe, of our prayer. Say amen. amen. 
I took a book off my shelf. Well, I'll just tell you who wrote it. John R. Rice. Great man of God from yesteryear. But I have his book on prayer. And I thought, let me see what John R. Rice has to say. Honestly, I was a little disappointed. I do not agree with him. Now, some things we agree on. But his, his statement is, prayer is asking and receiving. I don't think that's how Jesus defined it. And he went into this lengthy thing, the whole book, about basically what you pray for, God has to do. Well, you can agree with him if you want to. That's your decision. I don't see it that way. I believe when we pray, we follow the pattern Jesus gives us. We come in adoration. We come in submission, looking for God's will, wanting God's will. And then we come in our supplication. Supplication means asking. Again, not demanding. Asking. Big difference. Your child comes to you and says, give me $20. I have something I want to do and I need $20. Give me $20. Or your child comes and says, if they have any sense, mom, you're beautiful. You are the best mom in the world. And you can cook like nobody can cook. And I love you. Mom, I really need $20. Can you give me $20? See the difference? Adoration. Submission. Supplication. In Matthew 7, Jesus instructs us to ask things from God. He says in verse 7, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish will he give him a serpent? If he then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? 
You say, well, Jesus says God has to give me what I ask for. No. God will give you the good things for you. When I was a kid, we had a rule at our supper table. We had several. Different from today's society. Number one, we ate together. Do you know they did a study and they found that families that eat a meal together every day have less problem with juvenile delinquency. But we had rules, and uh, they were strict rules. One of them was, my mother was not a short order cook. What are you talking about? She made one meal. And you ate that meal. I don't like that. Well, then starve. And you ate what was put on the table. So sometimes, you know, maybe the the, uh, meat would come around and maybe some salad or some potato. And and that was all okay. But sometimes the broccoli came around. And the Brussels sprouts. And we were made to eat them. Now, did my parents do that just to be mean? Just so they could sit there and watch us gag? No, they did it because it was good for us to learn to like vegetables. See, that's what parents do. They give what's good for you. Not necessarily what you want. We have a heavenly father who does that. God says, come and ask. Paul says, be careful for nothing. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Let your requests. We're not to be anxious or worried. That's what he means by careful there. It doesn't mean throw all caution to the wind. When I Think about that idea of just throwing all caution to the wind. I think of bungee jumpers. You may want to do that and like to do that. I think anybody who wants to hook a rubber band to themselves and jump off a bridge is mentally deranged. But see, they do that because they're, 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 they're not careful. They're not not worried. 
But Paul's talking about being anxious. Don't just throw caution to the wind. No, 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 no. He's saying, look, in your life, don't get all worked up, consumed, mentally consumed with what's going on, and worried. By the way, today, I don't know how it is for you. It can be difficult for me. I told you I quit the news. The only news I watch is, uh, what's it called? One America. Used to watch news every night. Usually early in the evening and then before I went to bed. I don't read the newspaper. Used to read it every day. I told you I quit back after the election. I got tired of the nonsense of the attacks on conservative people. So I called them up and I told them, I want to quit your paper. They said, why? So I told them. I said, I'm sick and tired of your paper attacking conservative people. Oh, okay. Well, about two or three weeks later, I get an email from one of the head editors. And he says, I've been told you stopped our paper because you were disgruntled about some things. I'd love to hear what your issues were. So I let him know. I haven't heard from him since. But I was talking to my brother last evening, and, and uh, he mentioned about he gets the paper, and there was something in it. And I said, well, I quit the paper. I told him why. I said, you know, it's interesting, when I quit, they were wanting like $54 every quarter, 13 weeks, for the paper. And I was, see, when I started, I think it was 30-something. And then usually I would get 13 weeks for $2 a week or something. $54? So that also played into my quitting. But anyway... Now this past week they sent me a thing. They'll give me the paper for $1.99 a week for 16 weeks. I actually thought about it. And then I said, no, I've been living without it. I don't need it. Because when we read all that and we hear all that, it gets us... Paul says, be careful for nothing. I don't, I don't have to hear every day how, how Biden's doing this and Biden's doing that and Harris is doing this and uh, Pelosi's doing this and Schumer's doing it. They're still doing it. But I don't have to be reminded of it and get all worked up about it. I can't change it. And besides all that, God's still in control. 
He says, don't be worried. He says, make your requests be made known unto God. So we're to come to God and express our daily needs. It's interesting because in 6, look there for a minute. Look at verse 8. Be not ye therefore like unto them. He's talking about the heathen who chant and all these. He says, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Look further at chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Time out. If you don't understand that, he's saying, who can make himself taller? If it could happen, I would. Number one, I'd like to see what the air is like up there. And number two, if I was taller, I wouldn't be considered overweight. See, I'm not overweight, I'm height challenged. But we can't do that. I heard about a man who wanted to be on the police force. They said to be on the police force, you've got to be 5'8". He met all the qualifications except he was 5'7". And he was really, really, really into this thing of being a policeman. Supposedly, this is a true story. He went home, and he began taking a, a, a wooden thing and hitting himself in the head every day to build up callus. So far as I know, he never did get the 5-8. We can't add to our stature. He goes on. He says, and why take ye thought for raiment? Why do you consider your clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? ye of little faith. 
Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what, wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. They don't seek from God. When he says, after all these things to the Gentiles, he's talking about that rat race. That hamster wheel that the world lives on. They run and run and run and run and run and run and run. They got to get their food. They got to get their house. They got to get their car. They got to get this. I got My barber years ago, I had an Italian barber over here. His name was Tony. And we're talking one day. He said, well, my father used to say, we cut it a hair to get it the money, to buy the food, to get it the strength, to cut it a hair. <laughs> he was right on. It's where the world lives. Going nowhere. The more they get, the more they want. The more they make, the more they spend. I'm, I'm noticing today they don't build small houses. Have you noticed that? Rarely do you see them build a rancher. They build these great big houses. I'm not against people having a nice house. Don't get me wrong. But I think about the mortgage payment. And how much their mortgage payment must be. And then everything that goes with it. The bigger the house, the more you have to take care of. And keep up. And you have to furnish it. I'm thinking all this. I'm thinking when I was growing up, until I was 12 or 13, I shared a bedroom with my four older brothers. We moved to Fairless Hills. We had a three-bedroom rancher that was probably, maybe, 1,200 square feet for our whole family. One floor on a slab. One bathroom. So I, I think, well, how much do you really need? So people today buy these great big houses and then they got to make the mortgage payment. And they got to pay the taxes. And they don't do hmm? Jesus is talking about that. Hey, the Gentiles know they need clothes. We didn't have Walmart when I was growing up. You say, how'd you ever grow up without Walmart? <laughs> you may not believe this. 
We didn't have Kmart. Oh, you were really in the dark ages. I think we had Woolworths, uh, GT or whatever it was, Grant. Some of those. But I said all that because then we moved out here to Fairless Hills and they had Pomeroy's. Well, see, when I was a kid, we didn't shop those kind of places. We shopped the bargain stores. But you see, everybody knows they need clothes. And the Gentiles understand you need clothes, but the Gentiles aren't just caring about clothes. They got to have the right clothes. They got to be in style. They can't wear Walmart jeans or shirts or oh no. No, we gotta go for the higher. He says even the Gentiles know they need clothing and they chase after it. He goes on. Take no thought saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what, what, wherewithal shall we be clothed? In other words, as God's people, we need to understand we have a heavenly father who can meet our needs. And the fact is, Jesus told us God already knows our needs. Well, wait a minute. I'm having trouble here. I'm God's child. He knows my needs. Jesus says he'll meet my needs. Well, then why am I told to come and pray? And ask him for my daily needs. God has it that way because he wants us to stay in contact with him. He'll meet our needs. He'll take care of us. We need to come and supplicate. Lord, I need this. I need that. Parents, we want to meet our children's needs. Right? Okay, moms. How many of you have been doing the laundry and you pick up your little boy's britches and they're all torn? He needs new ones. 
He hasn't said a word to you. And you say, why didn't you ask? Do we know what our kids need? Yeah. Generally, we know they need food and clothing. Do we know all their specific needs? Not really. Now, I'm not saying God don't know. But he wants us to ask. And he promises if it's a need and we ask, he's going to supply. And you know, there, there are many Christians who can testify to the truth of that. They've been where it's a genuine need and could not supply it on their own and God has miraculously met the need. Because he said he would. Daily bread. God knows our needs. He wants us to seek his supply. And we're to bring our needs, our desires, our burdens to God. I wrote this little note. God has the resources to meet our every need. He, we sing the song, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the wealth in every mine. I've been in places where sometimes I've had to say, Lord, you need to kill one of your cows. Listen, he has the resources of everything. There's nothing beyond his ability to meet our needs. He can meet our needs. He can grant the desires of our heart. He can enable us in power to bear the burdens that we have. The rule of the kingdom. Ask. When we ask in prayer, we are requisitioning things. And that requisition is going into the warehouse of Almighty God. One that never runs out. Listen, when we requisition from God a need, it never comes back back-ordered. Genuine needs are going to be met. And the fact is this, failure to ask will result in unmet needs and desires. See, I read James chapter 4, and James says, ye have not, because ye ask not. I was thinking about this. This has happened to me. I've been working on a, a car or something, or doing some woodwork around the house or something, and I find myself without a proper tool. 
Well, I want to get the job done. So I do the best I can somehow, work through it, a lot of extra time and energy and effort. I get it done. And then a couple days later, I'll be talking to somebody and I'll be sharing with them. I really had a hard time. I didn't have the right tool. I had to do this and this and this and this in order to. It would have been so simple with the right tool. And they'd look at me and say, why didn't you ask? I have one. Ye have not, because ye ask not. How many times are we there with God? Well, I really want to continue. Let me just take a few minutes and go to the next point here. He says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Number one, forgive us our debts. That's talking about sins. The fact is, if we want our prayers answered, we have to confess our sins. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is willing to forgive, but we have to confess. Go to 1 John. First John is written to believers. Are you there? Look up here, I'm going to say it again. First John is written to believers. In verse 8, John says to believers, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Look at verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him, that's God, a liar. And his word is not in us. What's the point, preacher? Hey, we're saved people, but we're just a bunch of saved sinners. Not a one of us can live a perfect life. Most of us wish we could, but we can't. And we sin. Now, don't get the idea, well, if we're going to sin, we just throw caution to the wind and do it all. No, 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 no. 
We're supposed to strive to live holy lives. But even as much as we strive to live a holy life, we are going to fail from time to time. We've sinned. It's interesting, I've met Pentecostal folks and some other folks who believe you can sin away your salvation. They believe you get saved by grace through Jesus, but if you sin after you're saved, that somehow you lose it. Well, if that's the case, none of us are saved. No, our salvation isn't based on anything we do or don't do, good or bad. It's based on what Jesus did. And when we get saved, we're born again, we're in the family of God. How many of you have children? How many of your children have always lived a perfect life and never did anything wrong? If you raise your hand, I'm going to call your name. No, our children do wrong things. Listen, sometimes our children hurt us. But we never kick them out of the family. We can never undo the fact that they're our children. Nowadays, we've come to the days of DNA. Our DNA is in them. Nothing can change it. That's the way it is when we get saved. And even though we might sin, we're still saved. But our sin will cause us now not to be in fellowship with God like we should be. So God gave us a way to deal with it. He said, hey, children, You're saved now, but you're still going to sin, and that's going to break our fellowship, but here's how you fix it. You come and confess it. I've said so many times, that don't mean you come and tell God you did it. He already knows that. When you confess, like 1 John 1, 9 is talking about, you agree with God about it. You admit it's wrong and you repent of it. That means you turn from it. And you're forgiven. Now your fellowship is back like it's supposed to be. You remember as a child, maybe you did something really bad. This never happened to me. I hope it happened to you, but your parents sent you to your room. My friends used to say, boy, I got sent to my room, and I'd think, I wish I got sent to my room. You say, what are you talking about? I got the belt. But you did something bad, you got sent to your room, and sometimes your parents said, think about it. So you go to your room and you know your parents are upset. You've been wrong. And you're feeling bad. 
I know I did what's wrong. So what are we going to do? Mom, Dad, I'm really sorry. I broke the rules. Do you forgive me? And they hug you up, and everything's okay again. Till the next time you do wrong. There it is. Forgiveness. We have to confess our sin, and then we have to forgive others. One verse, and I'm done. Ephesians 4, verse 32. It says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearting, hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I made a little note. This is a very difficult thing to do many times. Forgive people who have hurt us, wronged us, been mean to us, injured us. But it's what God says we're to do. I've heard many say, I can forgive, but I can't forget. It's sad, but that's true. Wouldn't it have been wonderful if God would have put a delete button on our brain? That some of those things we could just delete and it'd be gone. It's not there. And it makes it difficult. And the only way we're ever going to accomplish it is through him. Forgiveness. It's hard. And I I wrote myself a little note. We talked about forgiving, getting forgiveness from God and confessing our sin. That's not always an easy thing to do. Fact is, many times we don't really want to admit our sin. Nod your head, will you? We don't want to admit, I've lied. I've cheated. I've stolen. I've gossiped. I've bitterness. 
I didn't witness to that person you told me to witness to. That's hard. And it's hard to forgive people who have hurt us. We really have to work at it and seek his enabling power. That's why it's included in prayer. Let's bow our heads. Father, help us. In this matter of prayer, in this area of supplication, asking. Help us to ask with right motives. Help us to ask for the right things. Help us to bring our needs to you. That you might bless us abundantly. And help us to be a forgiving people. And help us to be a people who would confess our sin. To be honest with you, to see it like you see it, and to repent of it. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, question for believers. Have you been praying properly? In this matter of supplication, the song says, take it to the Lord in prayer. Is that, is that your testimony? In everything, let your request be known unto God. Or are you perhaps a person who tries to fix it all yourself? Take care of it all yourself. Earn it all yourself. Provide it all yourself. How many would say, preacher, I believe my supplication is proper, pleasing to the Lord. Here's my hand as a testimony. Hold it up high. God bless you. I wonder how many would say, preacher, God's speaking to me. I've not really been faithful in coming to him and asking him to meet my needs. Asking him to supply. Asking him to help me with my burdens. And today God is saying to me, I need, I need to get right on this area of supplication. Coming to him as a child to his father. Here's my hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? Put it down. Is there anybody here today who's not saved? And today you'd say, preacher, I've never been saved. You've talked about it. 
I want to know about it. I want to get saved so you said I would know I'm going to heaven when I die. And preacher, today I'd like to sit down with somebody who will take the Bible and show me from the Bible how God says I can be saved. Here's my hand. Anyone at all? Let's stand together. We're not going to play. Thank you. Just going to take a minute. I know I've run over time. Just going to take a minute. And right now, if God spoke to your heart and you want to come to this altar and do business with him, I want you to step out and come. No music. No begging. Just come. If you need to be saved, right now, just come. You don't have to be embarrassed. Folks here love it when people get saved. And we don't make you get saved. We'll take the Bible and show you how you can be saved. You make the decision. Will you come right now? God loves you. Jesus died for you. And God promises he will save you if you come to him. Receive him. We're just going to wait a minute till folks are finished at the altar. Might be that God's dealing with you. Father, thank you again for our time together. Give us safety this afternoon. Bring us together again tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.